0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea and of all of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So one of the gifts entrusted to pastors, and it's one that I enjoy, is the opportunity to share life with with people, the people that we are called to serve as pastors. And sometimes in those times of service, there are days that are just incredibly beautiful. And those are the, kind of like the highlights of life. And they're gifts to us as pastors as well because you invite us into your life to share them. When there is births in lives and the families, you invite pastors to be a part of that. And the day they're baptized, we get to be a part of that. And then there are other days like maybe some teaching moments. And sometimes you get to share a Sunday school programs or just times playing with the kids. And those are beautiful days. There's beautiful days of baptisms. We get to be time with share time with the family. There's weddings and confirmations, and there's just a lot of beautiful things in life that God gives us as gifts that we share with a group, a big family, our entire church. They're beautiful days. There are also days that we get to share with our our families that are that are hard days. There are some hard days in life. Sometimes we've made bad decisions. Sometimes our children have made bad decisions, and we share those moments, because parents, we hurt for our kids more than our parents hurt. Our kids hurt sometimes. Um, Some days, there's days where we have to say goodbye to loved ones, and we didn't get a good chance to say goodbye. Sometimes we have bad goodbyes. We don't get to say that I love you, and I forgive you, and I miss you, and thank you to our loved ones, and we just end abruptly, or end with unfinished Words. There are some hard days. Sometimes people are losing jobs and losing homes, and sometimes they're losing friends and their identities. And those are hard days. And pastors, we get to share that part of life with you. But through all of those times, whether they're the delights and the celebrations of our life or whether they're the challenging moments, in either way, remember the words that they gave us today, God's word remains god and god's word remains in both those high moments when the world could not be any best better as well as the hard moments when we're wrestling just to try to keep our hope and our composure in both of those places god's word remains and that is a message that the prophets and the people of god are called to share now i was thinking about john the baptist this week and thinking about isaiah and all the different prophets I was also thinking about history that reflects that in other ways. One of the things that came to mind with history, and there's some things I like about history, and particularly if it comes time to do with what has to do with battles and war type of things, is that there, were in, there was a time in history way back, around the 1,000 or so, when the Englishmen were known for and, and, and feared for their capacities to wage war. In particular, one aspect of the English war machine was the longbows. No other culture had their longbow. They were large, very long, possibly recurved, hard to pull back, long arrows that they could draw back, but they outdistanced everything. Nothing on that modern battlefield short of a a single-shot kind of uh, throwing device could outrange those longbows. They could kill enemy while they couldn't even see their faces. And when they came to the battlefield and you were approaching them, you could be getting killed before you even had the chance to do anything about it. It was demoralizing what these longbow could do to the enemies. And um, for that, what did, how did you deal with it? When the Normans were invading the English island, the isle, and they were meeting this fearful adversary and their longbows, They made it a point that in certain initial battles, they wanted to capture some of these longbows. One, they wanted to duplicate the, the weaponry, right? I want to have the same tools at war better than you do. But in more than that, they also wanted to learn not the skill, but they wanted to capture them and then have the psychological war with the English before them. That they were coming and either you're going to surrender or you're going to meet a horrible fate. And what they did with these longbowmen... That they captured, they cut off this finger, their first, your pointing finger, and their middle finger. They cut them off, both hands. Because if you did not have those two fingers, you cannot pull the bow. And they cut them off, and they sent those captured men that they cut their fingers off, and they sent them back. Go back to your generals. Go back to your kings and your princes and your commanders. Go back to your villages and let them know what's going to happen. Either you surrender, or you die, or you'll have things like this happen. And they did that. That was part of the, and the Normans conquested them. The Normans, they, they, they won. Now, jump that about 800 years. On that English island in World War II, the English had been engaged with Hitler's evil empires. And they had been losing. On the sea, they were losing. They sent their ships out, and those submarines, the Wolfpack, sank them ship after ship after ship. On land, they sent their troops over into France. And when they sent their troops over to France, they were defeated. The, the German war machine rolled them. The Blitzkrieg rolled them, and they got, had to get evacuated out of Dunkirk. The air campaign was not going well. The Germans had been obliterating their, their airfields, their ships, on the, their airplanes on the ground and in the air. They were coming to a place, and there was even a place in there where the German war machine turns its bombers against the cities and now was killing people. Massive air raids against whole entire cities, just wiping out thousands and thousands of people at a time. And the people were down. They had been defeated Just about every way. And the propaganda, the airwaves were coming across saying, you know, to surrender, we're coming, you might as well surrender, make peace with us type of a deal. And in those defeats, the people started grumbling against each other. That always happens. When you're winning, people are like, hey, way to go, it's all good. But when it gets a little bit grippy, a little sticky, a little bit hard, people turn on each other. Well, it's all your fault. If you'd just get me more ships, we wouldn't have this problem. Oh, it's your fault. If you would have had a better air campaign, we wouldn't be losing our air campaign. Well, it's your fault. Had you done an army ride over in France, we wouldn't be having this problem. They started grumbling against the generals, against the politicians, against themselves. It was an ugly environment, this defeating, dark place of England at this time. Sir Winston Churchill was recognizing this. He saw it. He was feeling it. He was experiencing it just like the people. And in one of the dark moments in that time, he made arrangements to have it beam through all the radio and any video broadcasts that they could possibly have filmed and then shared. He gave a speech. And his speech was to his people, basically, yes, things have gone wrong here, but we still have this. And in their power speech, yes, we have been defeated over here, but we have not been, we still have armies. Yes, this is going wrong over here, but as he kept countering with, this is what's going wrong, but this is what we have. And this short little pudgy guy with the greatest of his strength, with all that he could muster toward the end of this speech, he said, we are not defeated. We have our freedom And he raised up his hand and he did this. Now to us, what does that mean? To them, as Englishmen, it meant that I had the capacity to fight. They had not chopped off my fingers like those Normans. I am not defeated. I have my freedoms. I have my capacities. And together, we will have a victory but it was more than that, wasn't it? So we have a capacity to fight. We're not like this with only these fingers. We have all. And, and he gave that to his people. Histories matter. They absolutely are needed to understand the moments. Now let's go into the Bible times. Before we get to John the Baptist, we've got to go back to a prophet named Elijah. He just shows up. I think in like the 16th or 17th chapter of Kings, boom, he's from Tersh, Elijah from Tersh. There's not a long history. There's not a big story before him. He just shows up. And about the time he's showing up, it was a dark time for the people of Israel. They had a king that was named Ahab. And this king was horrible. It says about him, he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him. That was kind of leading up. That's part of that book of the kings. But when they... And this guy was exceptionally horrible he married a wife named jezebel who was the daughter of a king of a land in the city of that land who that's their only thing was to worship a false god baal and he married her of all the people to marry why marry the daughter of the king of the priest of the of the one that's of the of the false god Are you're not expecting what's going to happen you see it coming they establish temples across the whole nation. They deface God's holy land and God's holy people by instituting the worship to Baal. And Jezebel, she's at the front of that, making that happen. Establishing prophets, oppressing the prophets of God and establishing their prophets. He puts up Asherah poles in previously holy places. They are worshiping a variety of, of false gods. And God's prophets are in fear for their lives. And here's Elijah. In this dark time, the king and all the the popular, powerful people sucking up to the king in wealth and power are worshiping false gods across the land. And here he is. He's standing. In one of those moments, he's, he's, he's confronted the king, and, and in that king time... Um, they, they gather 450 of the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. And they're, uh, Jezebel wants to defeat Elijah. She's a, he's a nuisance. He's annoying. And she just wants this guy. This is cut out me. Gone. And so, but Elijah's going to be there. He's alone. He stands on the top of this mountain, 450 false priests, worshiping their God, and there's just him. And he says, we're going to have two offerings. Here's my burnt offering and here's yours. And we're going to see whose God consumes them with fire. And they pray and they pray and they pray and nothing happens. And he mocks them as they go about it. Then he says, it's my turn. But he says before it's my turn, he tells the people, choose this day. Are you going to worship this God, this Baal? Are you going to worship the Lord your God in whose land you stand? And the people Were silent. They didn't say anything. Cowards. They had lost their courage. They had lost their faith. They were lost. They were going to wait and see what the show showed up. And God showed up. To one prophet remain faithful, God showed up and he not only burnt the offering on this side he burnt the offering on that side he not only burnt the offering with fire but he burnt the rocks that supported them he burnt the dirt underneath of them and all the water around them the lord completely consumed that mountain the people knew who their god was they were reminded powerfully they chased down those 450 prophets they were slaughtered and there was a chance to restore a kingdom And you know what that prophet Elijah wore? You know where he lived? He lived in the wilderness most of the time. If you'll read later on in 2 Kings, 2 Kings, he will tell you what he wore. He wore clothing made of hair, itchy hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And in that wilderness, he always declared the truth of our God. And the way of our God. And calling to people to repent in our God. And to be strong for their God. Elijah. Now throw that hundreds of years later. You have John the Baptist. Why is it important that Mark would say right after this little opening piece. Something about what he wears. Because he's linking them to Elijah. This prophet, who fearlessly stood in the face of all these adversaries, in impossible losing his life and saying, "No, here I stand." All this darkness is going on, and I, I stand in the word of my God. He stood, and now where's John the Baptist? He's in the wilderness. Elijah, wilderness. He's wearing itchy clothes like Elijah. He's wearing that leather belt like Elijah. And he's proclaiming the very same word that Elijah would have proclaimed. He's saying to all who could have ears, repent, which means turn your face to the Lord your God. Don't look at all this other stuff around you. Just focus on the Lord your God. Repent. Face your God. And then having faced your God, then confess. Confess. Confess your pride. Confess your greed. Confess your your anger. Confess your laziness and your being timid when you should be bold and alive. Confess all of that. Just confess it. And then, in that place, be restored in your relationship. Be God's people because that's who He wants you to be. Elijah wanted it, John wanted it. That's why He was sent. Prepare for this. Now, in the, the lesson we said about England, they gave us a symbol of a V. Right? They were First, the fingers were cut off, so no one had those fingers in their first fights so against the Normans. But Churchill said, no, we got our fight. Right? He held them up. In this one with John the Baptist, it wasn't about John the Baptist. He was pointing to something else. When they came to see him, he pretty much got everybody's attention. He got his hands up, he got their voices listening to him, and then he pointed. He said, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was calling people not to just remember the Word of God, but to see the Word of God in flesh in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He got their attention, he pointed, there he is. And when the world saw that, person in flesh god manifest they saw the way of god they saw the life of god they saw the the goodness and the truth of god it gets all the lies of the world saying you're small and you're not worth it and and get distracted and consume your lives on this spend your life on all these foolish things no jesus gave us way truth and life and john's pointed to that just like elijah pointed to the heavenly father john pointed to jesus the son of god and then having pointed them, what did Jesus give us? He gave us good news. He says, He says, to all of us who wonder whether or not we can be forgiven, from the cross he says, I forgive you. And if you wonder whether or not you can be forgiven because your sins might be so big and so numerous and so frequent, you might be addicted to something that no one else really knows about. Can I still be forgiven? He said to the Roman soldier who drove the spikes, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If he can forgive the one who hated him and drove the spikes and killed him, surely he can forgive you and me. That symbol on the cross And if you wonder how much you're loved, can God love us after all of this stuff that we've done, after all of this country that we're involved in? Echoes of the Isaiahs and and all the histories of God's people. If if, if he can look at all of us, what we've known and what we've rejected and how we still spend our lives even this day, God, can you still love us? Then you see the cross. I love you this much. I love you this much. Much. Nothing you do is going to make me. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Great line. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. From the cross. So on today when we remember John the Baptist, we don't just remember him. We remember Elijah. We remember all the prophets before him. Isaiah, who we have a lot of our songs and our stuff from. We remember those prophets. The histories. The histories. And we can also remember other world histories and says symbols matter and the words matter. We don't get this today. We get the cross today. Right? We get this today. That's what John pointed us to. And longer than our bodies last, the word of God lasts. And longer than all this universe comes together, our God who made the universe is there. That's who we point to. That's who we remember. And when we get the opportunities we'll be like the little kids today. We're going to let other people know what we know. We're going to do it in our way. This next week God will put someone in front of you that only you can speak to. And you're going to know it. You're going to recognize. You're going to think this is my moment. And you're going to have a chance to pray for them, to encourage them, to say God can forgive you. God still loves you. Repent, turn back towards him. Don't quit. You are not defeated. Stop being defeated. Find someone this week, because there's going to be someone this week. And sing the song of the angels. Our Lord God loves us, and our Lord God wins. And we are his people. We are victorious too. Let's share this good news. God help us to be that church. Amen.